0: Well, I trust and pray you all had a wonderful Christmas celebration uh, this last week. We were able to kick off the week last Sunday with our special uh, Christmas Eve evening services. I really hope nobody came here Sunday morning last week um, and uh, reached on the door to open it. and It was not open. Um, hopefully we got the word out enough, but uh, it was a great, great time. Blessed just to see so many of you come out for those special services, and I pray it was a great kickoff to your Christmas celebration. Last Sunday, we looked at a special message I entitled The Love of Christmas as we wrapped up our four Sundays of Advent. I hope this series was something that stirred your heart and better prepared you for the Christmas season as we uh, looked back upon and remember, remembered the um, hope, peace, joy, and love of Christmas, uh, and, and really how all of those things point to Jesus Christ. You know, uh, Jesus is the hope of Christmas. Jesus is the peace of Christmas. He is the joy of Christmas. He is the love of Christmas. He embodies it all. Uh, Christmas is all about Him. It's about Him coming for us, it's about Him dying for us, it's about Him uh, resurrection uh, and His resurrection for us, His saving us, His coming again for us. He's the reason that we celebrate and rejoice uh, each and every Christmas. However, With Christmas in the rear view and the New Year's before us, I was thinking and praying about what God would have for us this Sunday. Uh, New Year's uh, is an important time of the year, and I thought, do I do a special message? I don't know. And I actually, I was kind of more inclined just because I like the idea. Normally, when we start a new book, uh, we do a lot of introductory type things. We look at the who, what, when, where, why of the book. And it's usually a little bit shorter. Uh, we just get into the introduction of it. And I thought, man, next week is is communion. It would be better to have a shorter message with communion and match it up together. And so I thought, you know what? Let's just, we're going to do another special message. We will get to 2 Timothy, I promise. Um, but I just felt impressed that we would do something a little different this morning. So You know, New Year's, as I mentioned, is an important time of the year. It's a time where a lot of people like to ponder the year that's passed and and then look forward to the year that's to come. A lot of people during this time of year consider different things they want to do uh, with the new year. Uh, It is obviously just another day, but for many it's seen as an opportunity for a fresh start, an opportunity to make changes, to make better choices, to make plans for making the next year better than the year that just passed. They will look to the new year uh, and take an evaluation of their life oftentimes and and consider different areas they may want to improve upon or perhaps simply uh, do new things, you know, explore new adventures and do new and or different things than what they normally would do. Many people make what we call New Year's resolutions, uh, commitments of some kind for the new year to improve themselves uh, most of the time, the, these commitments revolve around health and physical fitness, uh, tends to be the trend. I did read an article done by Forbes Health that did a survey, uh, and they conducted a f- just a few months ago in October of this, uh, this year. They asked 1,000 U.S. adults about attitudes surrounding a resolution setting for the New Year's. The poll found that 62% of the people feel pressured to set a New Year's resolution. I don't want to pressure anybody uh, this morning, but, you know, if the Spirit lead and guide and prompts your heart to do things, then that's great. Um, It's interesting, they did find that women feel slightly more pressured to set a resolution than men. Women come in at 64%, while men only at 60%. I thought, I guess some men just... Don't really care all that much. Uh, And First Service was like, yeah, we don't care. But, um, you know, the people surveyed, they were asked to identify some of their top resolutions. Respondents were allowed to pick more than one resolution if they so chose to. Uh, The overall top spot for New Year's resolutions was improving physical fitness. Okay. 48% of the people surveyed said that this was a top priority for them. Not too far behind that was mental health improvement at 36%. Above that, 38% was improved finances. And then rounding out the top five were weight loss at 34% and improved diet at 32%. It seems that the biggest priorities for most Americans surveyed revolved around better health and better finances. Um, And this is probably not a shock to most of us. Right, We place a, a big emphasis upon success in our culture. And success in, in American culture and much of the rest of the world as well often revolves around two things, health and wealth. And um, I actually was looking at uh, some of the old polls that this um, uh, company put out uh, and found that over 10 years ago, in 2012, the top spot among a similar survey was also... Physical fitness. Uh, Oh, wow. You know, 10 12 years later, it's still the same. Um, And then I looked even further back. Ten years before that, back in 2002, the number one New Year's resolution was uh, to lose weight. I thought, oh, pretty pretty much the same thing. Uh, And so some things never really change. You know, the new year. Seems to be the time when people look to make those commitments to eat better, to work out more regularly, and get rid of some of that extra weight we tend to put on during the holiday season. They want to feel good. They want to look good. And listen, uh, you know, people want to earn more money, and so they can buy more things and do more things and keep up with what the rest of the world is focusing upon, okay? And and you guys, I want to be careful. There's nothing wrong with, you know, committing to getting healthy, or, or even looking to earn some more money or to better your financial standing. Um, but to me, I think the question begs itself is, what about our spiritual health? And, and what about our spiritual priorities, right? When we were in 1 Timothy, we came across 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, and this is what 1 Timothy 4, 8 states, for bodily exercise profits a little, okay, just, just a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Okay. What sort of emphasis are we going to be placing upon our spiritual goals as we continue to grow in our walk with the Lord? What sort of things should we be looking to shoot for? What does success look like in our spiritual walk? What are we as the church of God supposed to be doing? Okay. What are some resolutions we can make regarding our spiritual well-being? this morning, we're going to be doing a, a, one more special, special message before we get back to our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Next week, Lord willing, we will begin a new book with a new year as we look to start the book of 2 Timothy. But for today, we're going to be in the book of Acts, okay? The book of Acts. You know, whenever I think about what we should be doing as a church, you know, things we should be emphasizing and prioritizing, I am always drawn back to the book of Acts, In the book of Acts, we see the birth of the church. And even though we see that the church went through some growing pains and some difficulties, God was at work in the first century church molding and shaping his people into what he wanted them to be as a church. The first century church was a healthy church. It was a spirit-filled church. They were growing both spiritually and physically. And it serves as a good example for us to learn from and to model ourselves after. Some of the activities and practices that were vital for the church then are still vitally important for us as well. Some things don't ever change. Good principles and practices never really go out of style. They may look a little different from age to age and from culture to culture, but the biblical principles and disciplines of the first century church are still just as important today as they were some 2,000 years ago. And so, if you haven't done so already, go ahead, open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Okay, Acts chapter 2. Our text this morning is going to be Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and the title of our message is going to be Spiritual Resolutions, okay? Spiritual Resolutions. Once you're there in Acts 2, I'm going to kindly ask you to rise to your feet in honor of God and his holy word. I'm going to read through our text from my Bible. I'm reading from the New King James version of the Bible. I want to encourage you guys to do your best to follow along in your own Bible as I read from mine. Dr. Luke, who is the writer, the author of the book of Acts, he's a historian, a fellow missionary with Paul. He writes the following in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they, referring to the church, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, the opportunity that we have to gather on this final day of the year to worship you, to praise you, to thank you, Lord, for this year past. Lord, I'm sure it has been filled with difficulties and triumphs. But Lord, what we know most of all is that it's been filled with you being with us every step of the way. And so, Lord, we praise you for that. And Lord, we ask that you would be with us as we look to wrap up this year and look to the new year. Pray that you would lead and guide us through this time of study. And it's in Jesus' name we ask, amen. Amen, you may have a seat. Dr. Luke, uh, in writing the book of Acts, from time to time, he gives these summary statements regarding the church, Uh, generalizations, if you will, of what the first century church was experiencing and or how God was using them. As you read through the book of Acts, it'll talk about very specific things. And then Dr. Luke will zoom out and he'll just kind of give a broad um, uh, description of of what life was like uh, in the church. The text before us is one of those summary statements. Dr. Luke, he zooms out from the events of the day of Pentecost that just occurred in the first part of chapter 2. I'm sure you guys are familiar with the day of Pentecost in chapter 2. And everything that happened that day was an incredible day. Thousands of people gave their life to the Lord. Uh, And and so Luke takes the opportunity just to zoom out here and kind of give an overview of what life was like in the church. Some have called the text before us the perfect model for the church and what ought to be happening within the church. I don't know if I would describe it as perfect, but it it really does set forth for us a number of things that I believe to be of great importance within the church and the ministry of the church. Acts 2.42 is something that we as a church and within the greater movement of Calvary Chapel have used as sort of a, a theme verse for what we do and what we emphasize within our church. Of course, we are not alone in that belief. Many other churches hold to similar convictions. Acts 2.42 is a very popular verse. But I do believe that within these verses, we see a very vital, thriving church that was being used by the Lord to do great things, and that if we look to emulate the examples left by them, we too should expect to see the similar results of the Lord using us to do great things as well. And so let's dive in. We're going to look to glean from the example that was left to us by the first century church and see how we may put into action these things as we look to the new year and new opportunities to grow and to mature in our walk with Jesus. Acts 2.42 again says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. From this morning's text, we're going to key in on four main activities that characterize the early church and highlight the effects of these activities. The early church continued steadfastly in one, the Apostles' Doctrine, two, in fellowship, three, in the breaking of bread, and four, in prayers, okay, As we look at these four activities this morning, it's important to note how the church did them. The text informs us that they continued steadfastly in all four of these activities. If you like taking notes, you can maybe jot down or replace that idea of continued steadfastly with persistently or unwaveringly or totally devoted to. The idea being portrayed here is that the early church was completely consumed with doing these four activities. They were unwavering in their study of the apostles' doctrine. They were devoted to fellowship. They were consistently breaking bread, and they were persistent in their prayers. Let's take a look at each of these activities and see how we can gain application to our own lives. We begin with the apostles' doctrine. What is doctrine? Well, doctrine defined by Merriam-Webster is something that's taught, usually a principle or position or the body of principles in a branch of knowledge or system of belief. Biblical doctrine is a body of belief centered on the Bible's details concerning God and Christ and humankind and the church. The apostles' doctrine, therefore, implies what the apostles were teaching the early Christian church. And we know that what they taught, what the apostles taught, because earlier in this very chapter, we hear from some of Peter's teachings on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and filled them. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he spoke in his sermon to the crowd about the prophets And he spoke about Jesus and his ministry on earth. He spoke about his death upon the cross. He spoke about his resurrection and his redemptive power over our sinful lives. He taught of repentance, of baptism, of the remission of sins, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. He exhorted all to be saved, and some 3,000 were added to the church that day. We know of Matthew's teachings. He's another one of the disciples Uh, of the Lord, an apostle, hey, Matthew, he was constantly quoting from the Old Testament scriptures to show that Jesus was the Messiah that the Jews had been waiting for. Matthew focuses in on Jesus as a king and teaches us all about his kingdom. We also know of the teachings of John, another one of the apostles, right? John set out to show that Jesus was the son of God, He tells us of God's great love for us, and he builds upon the deity of Christ. Where can we find all of these teachings? Well, it's basically uh, the entirety of our New Testament, right? The apostles' doctrines found within the pages of our New Testament. And since we know that the apostles often quoted the prophets and drew from the accounts of Old Testament figures such as Abraham and David and Solomon, well, we can conclude that the Apostles' Doctrine would also include Old Testament teachings as well. And so, therefore, the Apostles' Doctrine refers to really the entirety of the Bible. It refers to the Word of God. And so... When it states that the early church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, what it is saying is that the early church had an insatiable appetite for the word of God. And as we look at the example of the early church, and we look to apply it to our lives and commitments, make commitments towards bettering our spiritual wellness, what do we note first off? We learn that the church must be involved in the study of God's word. God's word was a priority in the early church. We can read in chapter 6 of the book of Acts that there was a time when the apostles were pressured to oversee the distribution of aid for widows and that was a, a good thing it was a, a great work that was happening and but they We're being pulled away from these other things. And so they suggested that seven men be chosen for the task that they would be able to give themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You see, the precedence was on the word and the Lord wants to remind us this morning that he still places a high priority upon the study and the teaching of his word. Here at Calvary Chapel, we try to place a high emphasis upon the teaching of God's word. That's why we go through the Bible systematically, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I hope you know that my heart's desire is that one day I will be able to stand before you, the body of Christ, and before the Lord himself and declare, as Paul did, that I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Okay? I want to be able to teach from the very beginning all the way to the very end and be able to say, hey, we went through the Bible. Okay? And we did not shun to declare every single bit of it to you. Now, I know that you won't be here for all of it, because okay? most of you are only here for a couple years at a time. Okay? But that's my desire. Okay? It's going to take time, but it is a desire and a task that I take very seriously. We place a very big emphasis upon teaching God's Word. As a church... And as believers, we need to be those who can rightly divide the word of truth. Remember, you guys, that the church is not a building. The church is you and I. We are the body of Christ. As a church, we must place a high emphasis upon the study and teaching of God's word. As we continue as a church, this must always be at the forefront of what we are doing. And if we want to grow this year spiritually, listen, I think the first place to turn to is committing to being in God's Word. Listen, you guys, New Year's Day is tomorrow, okay? And there are so many wonderful resources out there for getting into the Word, okay? There are apps that you can... Download that will walk you through the pages of Scripture. It'll give you a daily reminder every single day. Read through the Bible in a year, and every single day it'll give you a portion that you need to read or go through. And you might think, well, that's maybe too much. Well, they can. You can modify them. Okay, you could say, I want to read through the New Testament in a year. You can modify it however you want. It'll send you reminders however you want. You want to read five days a week instead of seven days a week because you want the weekends out You can modify it. It's amazing how you could do these things. Okay, please, please commit to getting into God's Word, okay? Make that a New Year's resolution, okay? Most people don't stick to their New Year's resolution, but make this one one that you stick to, okay? Get into the Word. If you don't know about some of the resources, do you need help? Come talk to me. I can give you all sorts of suggestions, great things that uh, you can use, tools to help you in committing your uh, new year to getting into the Word of God. Well, not only was the early church unwavering in their study of the apostles' doctrine, but they were also devoted to fellowship. The word here for fellowship is koinonia. The word means an intimate sharing of oneself with another. It's used 20 times in the New Testament, and it's translated as fellowship more often than not, but it's also translated in a few other words that help kind of shed light on the fullness of this word. It's translated as the word communion in 2 Corinthians 6.14 when Paul asks What communion has light with darkness? It's translated as the word contribution in Romans 15.26, For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. As well, it's translated as the word sharing. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 9:13 Paul wrote about giving money to the poor saints in Jerusalem again and how the church was glorifying God because of their liberal sharing with them and all men that word sharing is koinonia and as we look at this we begin to see the picture this word paints for us it is a word that shows the care the love the support that we should show and have towards one another for the early church, we read in verses 44 and 45 just how this played out in their lives. It says, now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, some of you might read that and think, that that, that sounds a little weird. You know, that sounds like communism or something. That, that, let me tell you something, you guys. That style of living was totally Voluntary. It was temporary, and it was especially motivated by love. We know for sure that it was not required because of what Peter says in chapter 5, when Ananias tried to lie to the Holy Spirit. Peter said, in regard to the money he received from the selling of some of his land, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. You see, the money was theirs. They didn't have to do any of those things. They didn't have to sell what they had and give to the, you know, everybody else. They could do whatever they wanted with their stuff. You see, the selling and giving of material possessions was a voluntary thing. It was not required of anyone. It was a simple desire to show love and support to those who were in need. And so that's how they did it there. But the principle is true for us today as well. It's not about selling all you own and giving it all to charity, but rather the principle of genuinely caring for others, a sense of brotherhood amongst the body of believers. Fellowship was a vital part of the early church. To remove it would have been disastrous for the life of the church, and the same is true today. You know, we got a little bit of a glimpse of what that was like when COVID hit, and it was awful. Okay? There was a short season where we had to do church virtually. We were not allowed to meet in person. And man, I do not ever want to go back to that. Okay? It was not good at all. It was not good for the church. It was not good for anyone. Okay? It was not good for the church not to be able to meet together and fellowship with un- one another. You know, unfortunately, some got used to virtual church and thought they could just stay at home and, and stream services. Even when COVID was passed, the restrictions were removed. People think they don't need to go to church to be a Christian. You know, it's just better and it's, it's easier for us. It's more convenient for us. We just stream service. We just listen to a podcast or something. But you guys, you're wrong. Okay? If you think that way, you're wrong. Fellowship is needed We stream our services because we have people that cannot come here. They live in Ehime. They live in other parts of the world, the Philippines. We have people that can't come here. Please do not sit at home right over here and stream service when you can come here. You need fellowship. You need to gather together. And I agree that going to church is not a prerequisite for salvation. But I also know that without the body of Christ to be there to support, encourage, and love an individual, they will in turn find themselves in a lot of struggles. And they most often will end up falling away. They will not grow closer with the Lord. They will drift. Hebrews 10.25 states that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is in the manner of some, but to exhort one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. The body is here to exhort to encourage, to edify. Why would anyone not want to have that kind of care and love for them? We see here that the second practice of the early church was to be involved in fellowship. The church, you and I, should gather together often and have a genuine love for one another that looks to help in times of need. Sometimes that need may be financial. Sometimes it's emotional. It could be social. But most of the time, I believe it's a spiritual need. Christ said about the church and his disciples that the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As I look around, I see the church family that God has brought here to Calvary. I do hope and I do believe this can be said of our church family, that we love each other, that we gather in fellowship. But I want to just encourage you guys, exhort you if I may, that it would continue to be a precedent for us. right? And may it continue to be a priority for us as we step into this new year, that we would fellowship with one another that we would genuinely care for one another and have love and concern for one another. The church was steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and thirdly, in the breaking of bread. Now, the breaking of bread can be understood as two things. First and foremost, the breaking of bread was simply their regular meals. In verse 46, if you look, you'll see, it tells us that the early church went from house to house, breaking bread, eating their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Do you know what happens when you invite someone over to your house and you share a meal with them? You share your life with them, right? You you talk together, and you pray together, and you laugh together. You know, um, I joke about this often, but if you come over to my house, you usually play a game together, okay? Because we like playing games at our house, okay? So you come over to our house. I've got a closet. I slide it open, and I take your pick, you know? (laughs) And then they say, oh, we really don't like games. I said, I got a game for you. All right, (laughs) sit down. Listen, when we're willing to open up our home and break bread with our brothers and sisters in Christ, it creates a wonderful opportunity for fellowship, right? We just highlighted the importance of fellowship. And breaking bread is a great means to fellowship. The first century church placed an emphasis on getting together and breaking bread, and I think we ought to emulate that. You know, tonight we have planned an opportunity for the body to get together, enjoy some soup and games together. Okay, it's a great opportunity to get to know each other. I want to encourage you to come on out. Every month we try to plan at least one opportunity for the church body to gather together for a potluck or an activity of some sorts. And there's a reason we do that. Okay? It's not because it's easier, okay, than you know, going to get something on your own on Sunday afternoon, right? I know that. I know it's hard, right? My wife comes to services, and so it's like, i got to think of something I'm going to bring to potluck, and it's got to sit at the church for three hours before we make it. It's going to be cold. Or else i got to run home after service and get it and It's hard, right? It's so much easier. We just walk across the street to Sonia's and get some curry, right? But we do it for a reason. It's hard, it's challenging, but it's worth it, okay? Jokingly, some in the past have referred to Calvary Chapel as Calorie Chapel uh, because we like to get together and eat so much. And you know what, you guys? I'm okay with that, okay? You want to call us Calorie Chapel? Go for it, all right? I think it's important that we break bread together. As I mentioned, it's a great means to fellowship. And so our calendar will continue to highlight opportunities for us to gather together, to break bread, to share life the body. In February, okay, be on the lookout. We're going to be launching another Open Hearts Open Homes ministry event. If you haven't been here for one of those, it's an event. Um, It's an opportunity for you to open up your home and welcome some people from church over to your house to enjoy a meal together. we're going to give you a couple dates. You sign up whether you want to be a host or a guest, and then we basically gather them together. We mix match them and say, okay. Contact the host family and say, hey, these are the people that want to come to your house. You're going to open it up. You create a main meal. They bring some side dishes. It just becomes an opportunity to do life, you know. When those things come out, uh, I want to encourage you guys to sign up for that, okay? It's going to be in February, okay? When the other church gathered together for meals, they were often called agape feasts or love feasts. Love feasts were opportunities of fellowship for both Jews and Gentile believers. They were meant to draw the body together and were commonly followed up with the observance of communion, which leads us to our second understanding of the breaking of bread. Secondly, the breaking of bread is understood to be the partaking of communion. And it makes sense as you look at the instruction that was given by Paul in regards to reminding the church about the institution of communion. In 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul writes, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Also, in the same letter to the Corinthians, Paul declares, That as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. These love feasts were times when the church would gather together for their common meal. Bread and wine were common food at a Jewish table, and at a, the end of these love feasts, they would pause. To remember the Lord by observing communion. It was a time for the body to praise the Lord together. A time to worship Jesus and to remember all that he had done for them. And so we see a twofold application here. Not only was breaking bread an opportunity for fellowship for the believers, but it is also spoke of partaking of communion. We're instructed that we're to partake of communion in remembrance of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us as he laid his life down for us upon the cross of Calvary, as he paid the price for each and every one of our sins, and he died a painful death. But we also partake of communion to proclaim his coming. The story didn't end at the cross. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. He's now sitting at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the Father to tell him to come back for us. You know, it's interesting to me that even though they lived so close to the time of Jesus' death, that they still partook of communion in order to never forget. Most of those people were alive. They saw it firsthand. But yet they still said, we're going to gather together and we're going to partake of the bread and the cup. We're going to remember this. We're not going to allow ourselves to forget this. And if the first century church that was there, that lived it and saw it, made it a priority to remember Okay? I think us as the 21st century, we need to make that same kind of priority to remember what Christ has done for us. The early church was constantly in remembrance of what Christ did for them. Today as a church and as individuals, we need to constantly remind ourselves of the work of the cross, of his grace that was poured out for us. And we ought to live a life that's expectant of his return. That's part of taking communion as well, as remembering he's coming back for us. Amen? Amen. Amen? Moving on, we note that lastly, the church was persistent in prayer. Prayer is our lifeline to the Lord. It is how we speak to our Creator, our Savior, our God. Prayer may have been the fourth and last thing mentioned in the practice of the church, but it wasn't fourth in priority. Remember earlier in the story of Acts chapter 6, right? The apostles didn't think it was best to have themselves waiting on tables so that they could give themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Prayer was a top priority in the early church. Prayer and the word. And it's interesting interesting to me that prayer and the word were the most important things in the church. It's interesting because prayer and the word are the best means of communication we have with the Lord. It really is beautiful if you think about it, the way the Lord has set it up. He's given us his written word, his will for our lives. He speaks most often through his word. And how do we respond to him? Through prayer. Right? May I suggest to you that the reason the word and prayer had top priority within the early church is because they understood that this is how the Lord was going to continue their relationship with him. You see, communication is one of, if not the most important things in relationships, A healthy relationship is one that's filled with open and honest communication. That goes for our relationships with our spouses. That goes for our relationships with our family, with our friends, and most definitely with our Lord. A man or woman who's faithful to God's word and to prayer is a man or woman that the Lord's doing great things in. If you want to have a strong relationship with the Lord, if you're looking to this new year and you think, yeah, I want to make some resolutions, some commitments, just to bettering my walk with the Lord, okay? Pray and get into the word, okay? Communicate with the Lord. Spend some time with him to hear from him. We see here that the church needs to be involved in prayer in open communication with the Lord. You know, here at Calvary, we have various opportunities to gather for different prayer, uh, group prayer times, We gather at our midweek study. We spend some time in prayer before we get into the Word. We share prayer requests. We break up into small groups. We pray for one another okay? because we think it's important. We gather at um, uh, at our men's studies, our women's studies. We have prayer. We have a prayer meeting that meets every other Thursday night at my house. We have prayer cards that we ask you guys to help us with. Send us in a family photo that we might print it out. We pray for you by name every other Thursday night when we gather together for prayer. Okay? Oftentimes we don't know how to pray uh, for you exactly, so we just pray for God's blessings and for God's working upon your lives, and trust that God knows what you need and He's going to answer that prayer. But if you want to help in praying, uh, help us in praying more specifically. We've set up an email that you can send your prayer requests to. Okay, you can email us at prayer@calvarywoodcune.com. At when you get those prayers, requests in. We share those with the group that comes on Thursday night. We pray specifically for those things, lifting you and your family up to the Lord. We want to pray for you. We think it's important, and we enjoy interceding on your behalf. Could we do more prayer? Oh, of course. You know, I don't think you can ever have enough prayer. I don't think any of us are starting this year thinking, you know what? I kind of prayed up. I'm good to go. I don't need to pray this year. Uh, Hopefully, none of us are thinking that, right? You know, we are looking at doing a night of prayer and worship, perhaps at the end of January or early February. Canon made mention uh, of trying to put something like that together. I want to encourage you. There's lots, of, lots and lots of ways to get involved in prayer. Okay? Join with us. Okay? Join with us in prayer. Intercede on behalf of others. Commit to spending time with the Lord on a regular basis in your own private prayer, okay? in your own closet prayer, but also corporate prayer. Gathering together as a church body and praying together, interceding on behalf of one another. Prayer is something we need in our church. We cannot do without it. Now, as we look at these four practices of the early church, we see that there were tremendous results. Okay? We're not going to look at all the details here, but I'm just going to kind of glance over verses 43 through 47 and highlight some of the things that were happening. As they committed to these four things, what happened? What were the results? Well, it tells us in verse 43 that the fear of the Lord came upon every soul. It was a reverent fear for the awe and power of the Lord, a genuine admiration for God. When people saw what God was doing in and through the first century church, people were faced with the reality of God, and they responded in awe and reverence. Verse 43 also says that many wonders and signs were done through the apostles You know, as you read, if you read through the book of Acts, you will read of some of these incredible wonders and signs that were done through the apostles. And I believe the same Holy Spirit that empowered the apostles to do those incredible things is still alive and active within the church today and is still able to do the miraculous. Verse 44 and 45, we looked at already. The church cared for each other. They looked to the needs of others. We highlighted that when we talked about the importance of fellowship. Are we willing to give of what we have that we may meet the needs of others? Again, this isn't just talking about money or finances. What about your time? What about your talents? Are you willing to share those with the body to help meet the needs of the body? You know, we've got a lot of areas where we could use some help here in the church. We need more teachers for our Sunday school classes, we need more volunteers to help with ushering and greeting people that help out with our hospitality ministry cooking goodies for the body each week we are calorie chapel right and so you want some of them goodies over there right there are all sorts of various ways you can get plugged in help meet the needs of the body and minister to the body simple practical ways so get involved The church was unified in one accord, verse 46 says. The phrase with one accord is a phrase that speaks about the unity that was experienced amongst a diverse group of people. We've got a diverse group of people here, okay? People that come from different uh, areas of the world, different backgrounds, okay? Different upbringings, okay? But God has brought us together in this thing called the church, right? We are to be of one accord. I love uh, the strong my strongs lexicon described this word with one accord as a term that's almost musical in its imagery it says this and i quote a number of notes are sounded which while different harmonize in pitch and tone as the instruments of a great concert under the direction of a concert master so the holy spirit blends together the lives of members of christ's church that's what we're to be We're a bunch of different notes, but God brings us together. The Holy Spirit just blends us all together into this beautiful work. I desire to see that sort of unity amongst us. That although we are different, we would be unified in our beliefs, unified in our service of the Lord. Verse 47 tells us that praise was given to the Lord. Ultimately, the Lord is the only one that truly deserves our praise. When things go well at church, when the church is healthy, we give all glory and honor to the Lord for it's he that is working through us. Church successes should not give praise to programs or people. God can use those types of things, but they're simply tools in his hands. He gets the praise for anything good that comes from us. The church found favor with all people in verse 47. Think about it, you guys. If you're an outsider looking in on the church and you see a group of people who are passionate about what they believe, they genuinely love and care for one another, okay? They have each other's best interest in mind. They share a bond that unites them. Listen, great things are happening amongst them and they always point to the Lord and not men. You couldn't help but to want to be a part of something like that. Right? When the church is doing what it's supposed to be, I believe it becomes a draw to certain types of people. Right, We become salt and light. Right, We become attractive to those around us. We have something that they don't, something that they need. We have the Lord. It is a beautiful thing. And last but not least, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Again, there in verse 47. Here at Calvary Chapel, e. Bikuni, you will not see us put any sort of emphasis upon church growth programs. I know some churches do that. They have campaigns and they have you know, different things that they do and, and all power to them, right? But that's not what we're going to do, okay? We're going to leave that to the Lord. That's his business, okay? If God wants to add to the church, I'm confident that he'll do so, that he's able to, and he's capable. I think for us, our emphasis is going to be we're going to do these four things, Okay? We're going to commit to the Apostles' Doctrine. We're going to commit to fellowship. We're going to commit to breaking bread. We're going to commit to prayer, and we're going to leave the results with the Lord. Amen. Okay? From this morning's text, we see that when the church is continuing steadfast in the Apostles' Doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayer, the Lord takes care of everything else. Okay? And so as we continue as a ministry here in New I believe that as we model ourselves off of the first century church and make a commitment to these four priorities, that God will continue to take care of us. He will continue to lead us. He will continue to guide us. He will continue to provide for us. He will take care of everything. I believe that, and I hope that you do too. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you so much for the example of the first century church and how you use them, Lord. And how you did amazing things through them as they just simply committed to your word and they committed to fellowship. They committed to just breaking bread together, praying together, just doing life together, honoring you, serving you as they can. Lord, amazing things happen. Lord, and I trust and believe that you still want to do amazing things because you're an amazing God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would lead us and guide us. As we look to this new year, Lord, I pray that these might be things that we commit to in our own personal walk, that we would commit to as a church to get into your word, to pray, to love one another, care for one another, to spend time sharing our lives together, remembering all that you've done for us and telling everybody all about what you've done for us. And so, Lord, lead us and guide us in that. We thank you again for this year, and we look forward to the year to come. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.